Now, this this intro story is a lot. I'm just going to warn everyone at the top of the episode. I promise you, Matt, we don't always talk about robotic vaginas when we uh, do our intro stories. Oh, that's a little bit different, isn't it? <laughs> okay. This comes out of Lad Bible. It was written by Dominic Smithers. If you've ever found yourself at a donor center donating sperm, looking to offer a bit of yourself into the world, you may have noticed that the sanitized setting of a medical room isn't quite the mojo starter you might have thought. So it can be a little tricky to get yourself ready for action. Well, some boffins over in China have come up with a genius way of removing every ounce of embarrassment from the entire process. A robot vagina. According to the firm, it comes complete with a massage pipe, variable speeds, pressure and temperature, as well as an adjustable adjustable height to meet the requirements of the end user. Oh, and the isolation pad... To capture your deposit. Speaking back in 2019 about the nifty piece of kit, Sanwei chairman Ding uh, Gujang said it would help a lot of people. He said nowadays the amount of sperm in semen has dramatically decreased. Hospitals mostly use masturbation as a method to collect sperms and they don't provide a venue or equipment for the task. This makes collecting sperm on the spot very difficult under such circumstances. In order to meet clinical demands, we invented the automatic sperm extractor equipment, which is also friendly to use. Discussing its likeness to a real vagina, Ding said, in terms of temperature... Wetness and amount of light, it is able to meet certain standards and simulate a vagina. According to Lee Simming, a doctor or urological consultation at Shanghai Pudong Hospital, dozens of his patients use the device every month. He said this device (laughs) is much more efficient than masturbation, but there are still some weaknesses. For instance, it cannot exactly simulate the temperature and wetness of a vagina. Also, the device may not fit as well when compared to (laughs) human beings. After all, it is made out of plastic and metal. (laughs) I don't even know where to start with this one. I'm sorry, Matt. I guess I could start there. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. I mean, look, science is science, right? And I feel like Especially when if if it's straight white men or straight in this case Chinese men inventing things, so be it. I mean, I I would love to know if a woman was even con- like consulted for this. Uh, <laughs> definitely an awkward conversation to have with. I I assume three humans who don't have vaginas here on this call, uh, but like. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Like sperm donation is one of those things that like. I've not thought that much about. I know it exists. I know I know folks who have done it. I know folks who used have used it to have kids and all that stuff, especially in the queer community, right? Like if you're a being that cannot produce sperm, you need sperm from somewhere uh, to have a child naturally. Uh, and this just seems interesting. Uh, I just I, who who's the first person in the boardroom to go? Let's make a robot vagina. That sounds like a good idea. Like who? Like how do you even come to that? Uh, phrasing, come to that, love it. Uh, <laughs> well, Lockie, what do you think about the robot vagina? Well, look, I'm I'm like, I'm as far removed from any interest in vaginas as humanly possible. So this is particularly like um, alien to me. Um, I, 
why can't they just why can't they just jack off? It's just a simple yeah. question, and that that's that's where our, my mind keeps going back to is that like that seems quite expensive um, to be able to fit out, you know, medical facilities with all these mechanical vaginas <laughs> for what should be a simple transaction. But anyway, yeah, I I, I think maybe they're they're kind of dipping their toe into sort of that self pleasure. You know uh, the the dildo. It's not their toe; they're dipping, Lockie. I hate yeah. to tell you, but yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think they're sort of trying to. Tr- I think the investment is not so much for a medical reason. That's my <laughs> gut feel. Yeah, especially when they said that they have patients who come back quite regularly to use it. Uh, that was the first kind of red flag to me. I mean, also <laughs> it's one of those things where like. I don't know. I'm a I'm a grown ass adult who's almost forty. I'm not embarrassed by sexual anything anymore. Like I also used to yeah. DJ burlesque shows, and I've seen like every human body part possible. Like it just eventually <laughs> you kind of grow up, and you're like, okay. And I honestly truly impressed that you read that entire story without barely laughing. And you're laughing at the <laughs> absurdity of the story, not the word vagina, because we're all grown ups. But like, it's it's just. It's fascinating to me that this is the kind of resources they're pooling into something. When, oh. lo- like Lockie said, you could just jerk off. Like, I don't know. It's not that. It's not a, like, I'm not embarrassed by doing it when I've done it. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it seems bizarre on a, a whole multitude of levels. Uh, this, this machine is so intense and complicated. Like, having simulation effects of wetness and temperature and everything. Yeah. Think about the, the resource allocation here, the amount yeah. of money that could have gone to cancer research or like things that are actually useful. And though yeah. they're just some, some men are a little bit embarrassed and want their, their winkies to feel nice when they <laughs> have to donate sperm it is insane to me it, it reminds me of um the the story of years ago when they tried to make a, a, a pill for men like a, a contraceptive that you could take and yeah. men didn't want to do it because of all the uh, side effects that it would have and it's just what do you think women have been dealing with now for right. decades, crazy side effects. It affects every every part of them. Uh, just it, it's it sounds just so typical <laughs> in a patriarchal society that we're gonna get ourselves a robot vagina just to donate sperm. Uh, the the world is really made for men. <laughs> I, I think it's a front. Like honestly, that's not that's not why the resourcing and development went into this. They were looking to make a sex robot. Um, they knew what they were doing. They know that if you can pull it off, like you'll make so much money. Um, but they had to write an article about it. So this is the angle that they took. Yeah. Or if the, if, if the sex robot could pull it off, you'd make so much money. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Um, if uh, if we don't see this technology in sex robots within the next 10 years, then yeah, there's something something wrong there. Perfect way to start off a video game podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dude. It's interactive entertainment, if if I've ever seen it. You're not wrong. Hello and welcome. 
Welcome to News to Reviews, your place to be for gaming news stories and also your place to be for impressions on the latest games coming out each and every week. My name is Zach and I'm here with my co-host Lockie. Lockie, how you doing this fine Sunday morning? Hello, hello. I'm going alright. How are you? I'm doing very, very well, my friend. I'm doing extra well because we may be recording this Sunday morning, but I believe it's Saturday night for our guest all the way over there in, in these United States. Ooh, uh, super stoked to have on the show Matt, aka Stormageddon. Matt, how's it going? Good, yeah, it's Saturday night. Uh, it's about 6.30 here. Uh, so uh, it's nice to be talking to you from the future. <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah, I uh, thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. I love the show. I love... I, I like I like any show that's not afraid to laugh and crack some jokes and have some fun. And like The game space is so super serious and overwhelmingly nitpicky that like... It's nice to be on a show that is just here to have fun and have a good time and acknowledges the issues in the world, but doesn't always every week try to fix them. Though, clearly you're not ignoring them either because you have talked about issues that have come up in the industry before. So I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot, especially coming from a prolific podcaster such as yourself. You are all over the, the podcasting tubes. Um, and you have some fantastic podcasts. Uh, you, you tell our audience all about them, please. Sure. Uh, I will not talk about them all in great detail because then we'll be here for three days and nobody wants that. <laughs> but uh, I do host four different podcasts. Um, I am a podcast host, producer, and editor. I've been working in and around the indie podcast space for about 10 years now. Uh, and yeah, um, two, the two at the forefront that uh, your listeners might be interested in are video game podcasts. One of them is called Fun and Games. I host it with the incredible Jeff Moonen, and we kind of cover broad topics within the games industry. We interview game developers. We interview voice actors. We've had the incredible Yuri Lowenthal of Spider-Man voice actors fame on the show, not once but twice. We've had the brilliant Grant Kirkhope, uh, who's done tons of music composition in and around the game space on the show. Um, we've interviewed uh, developers, big and small. We talk about genres of games. We do retrospectives on different types of games and franchises. Uh, and it's a good time. And then we have a sub-series in that feed called SideQuests, which is just 5 to 15 minutes, uh, a one host, a guest host every episode, talking about a game they love and why they love it. No critique, no issues. I've made some exceptions to games from companies that maybe I don't want to cover. But beyond that, pretty much any game you want to talk about, from Fortnite to Final Fantasy VII to whatever else in between, we've had different hosts talk a great game about these things that they love, that they grew up playing. Um, a lot of the series ages me. As someone told me, they were like five when they played Final Fantasy VII for the first time, and I felt instantly <laughs> old. <laughs> um, but the other show I do is called Reignite. Uh, it started as a Mass Effect podcast uh, where me and my co-host created ourselves as Commander Shepard and then decided to play the games, making choices as if we were in Shepard's shoes and then discussing why we made those choices, kind of analyzing you know, how we think in the moment, obviously not actually being in those life-threatening situations, but like kind of coming back to like why we made those decisions. We had incredible guests. We covered the trilogy. And then we, in the fourth season, covered Andromeda, which I had not played before we covered it. And coming to that game so many years after it had been out, I got to enjoy it for what it was instead of all the critiques that it got online. Still not a perfect game. 
Not as good as the trilogy, but enjoyed it. And now we have, in the fifth season, which just started, have moved on to the Dragon Age franchise. We just started Dragon Age Origins. Uh, by the time folks hear this, our third episode will have uh, aired. And uh, yeah, we're having a good time with it. I, I love the Dragon Age series as well. Not as much as Mass Effect because I prefer sci-fi to fantasy, but uh, excited to be moving on to a new franchise. And then we'll see what happens if the new games come out, if they ever come out, if Bioware ever gets their shit together. Um, the other two shows I do, I'll make this quick, is one is a TV movie podcast called Screen Snark, which I host with comedian and now wrestler Rachel Quirky Shank. We have a guest on every every two weeks, and we talk about the most recent thing we watched. It could be TV, movies, old, new, whatever. And then we usually interview the guest in the back half, which is a ton of fun. I believe you talked about uh, Sonic on the most recent episode, right? The new Sonic I series? did. Yeah, the new one, Sonic Prime, which was actually a lot of fun. Uh, brand new voice cast, a story that's very different from anything they covered in the games and movies. And uh, I, for one, have enjoyed the two new movies that have come out. Also, a, a mark for anything good with Knuckles in it. And Ildris Elba playing Knuckles in the second movie was like, perfect. Uh, but yeah, and it's a, a fun chat. You know, it's not serious. We kind of just goof off and, and have some fun. Uh, and then the last show is CPOV Autographs. It was originally Crash Chords Autographs on my old network migrated it to where all my other shows live now because that site's kind of on i like to say indefinite hiatus is a nice way of saying it's donezo uh and it's just an interview series that i started because i decided that i wanted to interview people and i was like all right let's do it and started as just interviewing bands and musicians and then has grown from there i've interviewed comedians burlesque performers historians actors all sorts of really great folks um and that was bi-weekly like the other shows now is monthly and then on top of all of that i'm the freelance editor for the game informer show uh, uh game informer a publication you may or may not have heard of uh that's big here in the states and uh i'm really proud to be part of that team it's a fun thing i've been reading Game Informer since like I was a little kid uh, since they started making it over at GameStop and uh, yeah that's that's the broad strokes I, I've done more stuff in the past and present but that's enough I think I've talked for way too long on your podcast already but uh, yeah that's the stuff that I do you got the job congratulations <laughs> thanks thanks excellent yeah like reading my resume uh, but but I love podcasting I've been doing it for quite some time and like I've come a long way from recording into an iPad microphone and then releasing it to the world. Those episodes do exist, by the way, on my old website. They're still up. Uh, they sound terrible, though. Don't go listen to them. <laughs> there you have it. When I said that that Matt is prolific in the podcasting world, I was not bullshitting you that is for sure <laughs> and if any of those podcasts sound even vaguely interesting to you be sure to check them out because the the pro the production is absolutely fantastic. you're Thank all. You. You're all incredibly entertaining and well-spoken. Um, and any of these, uh, you'll have a good time with, that is for sure. Um, and you'll find the links to all those podcasts and all, all of Matt's links in the description of the podcast down below, as well as all of News to Reviews links. Be sure to hit us up on all the so socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, if you can, leave us a rating or review wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast. It's the best way we can help you get into the ears of more people. I just want to mention, I, I have been mentioning on the show about me streaming once a week uh, on a Wednesday at 6.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. I have been streaming Dead Space Remake. Uh, I just want to mention, uh, once I finish Dead Space Remake, I'm going to take a bit of a hiatus from streaming. Um, I, I really, really love doing it. I've been doing it for about a year now, uh, but I found it hasn't helped the podcast basically at all. 
Um, and uh, it's only, it may only be one night a week, but it's it's really it's really difficult to find that time on top of everything else I want to do. And I did mention at the very start of the year that I want to get news to reviews onto YouTube and start cutting the show up into clips. Um, and I think that's the more important space for my attention to be in uh, in the near future. This won't be the end of news to reviews streaming. I, I will come back at some point once I have YouTube under control. Um, but yeah, once I finish Dead Space, which is probably going to be either this stream or the next stream, then I'll be taking a bit of a break uh, for a month or two until I can get that up and going. You know, work-life balance, people. We got to do what we can so we don't go crazy. <laughs> Look, maybe when you do go back after the hiatus, maybe you just go back to your roots um, and play more balance. Balance <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still Let's yet go. to play some other terrible, terrible games like Dead No, no, just balance. So. Just do balance all the time. Balance Wonderworld. Best game That's ever it. made, obviously. Uh, I don't blame you for taking a break. I used to stream tons, especially during the, pan- the height of the pandemic. You know, uh, when I was not working a day job, I... I streamed a lot and I burned out pretty quick and I have I don't stream frequently. I stream, you know, I would say safely once a month at this point, if even. Uh, and so take like even once a week can be a lot. So I totally get that, especially if you're trying to work on other stuff. It can kind of just eat all your time. Mm, yeah, you really got to decide what where your attention should be focused. I get if you spread yourself too thin, you're probably not going to be putting 100% into uh, anything you're doing, I guess. Like butter uh, on too much bread. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about we jump on into the gaming news? Now, lots of bite-sized stories this week. No heavy hitters, but uh, I'll, I'll get us kicked off with a story for Aaron, I love regular guest on the show. Aaron, he's going to be happy. Dead Island Two has gone gold. And the release date has been moved to the 21st of April, so we're going to be seeing Dead Island 2 one week sooner. Matt, do you have any interest in Dead Island 2? Um, I do have some curious interest. I played the first one. I never finished it. But, like, I thought it was fun. I, I Dead Island came at a time where I feel like there were so many zombie games, and there aren't exactly less of them now. I feel like it's kind of just another genre. Um, mm. But, I mean, the previews I've seen, the stuff that Game Informer's coverage cover, covered in their video previews and stuff looks interesting. I mean, I like the mm. idea of a melee first-person game. You know, I like playing Skyrim in the same way, kind of be like, I like that first-person melee combat. And so I'm curious to see how Dead Island 2 does that now, especially so far removed from the first game. Um so, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to buy it as soon as it comes out, but it's definitely on my list to check out. Maybe if there's a demo or something, because I like zombie media. And who doesn't like bludgeoning zombies to death with a lead pipe, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a Dying Light fan, so I- I'm right there with you. Uh, Lockie, uh, are you down to bash some zombie heads in? Oh, boy. Look, this one, I don't know. I, I just <laughs> don't know. I... Liked the idea of Dead Island, the first one, but I didn't get through it. I It was one of those games where I thought it was just a bit too thin. Um, yeah. uh, where, like, it, it's not a very... It wasn't a very fleshed-out open world. Once you sort of got the idea of the game mechanics, it was basically the same sort of gameplay style no matter where you went, um, and you had slightly different variety in your environment. So... Hopefully, they'll be having a little bit more versatility in the actual combat. That's really what I'd be hoping to see from this type of game. Um, 
But I have a question. So what the fuck does gold mean? When something's gone gold, and and for our listeners, I've had Aaron and Zach message me and say this has gone gold, and I've had like five different definitions, and my own that I I thought was gold was like when a music album goes platinum, it means it right. sold a bunch of records. So if something has gone gold, does that mean that what the all the all it, there's been a shit ton of pre order purchases? Like what does it mean going gold? No, no. So so as far as far as I know, in the games industry, going gold just means the game is printed onto a disc and ready to be shipped out. Doesn't mean the game's ready. <laughs> just means that version at that time has been printed onto the disc <laughs> and is going to be <laughs> shipped out. So back in back What's like twenty years ago. There? Going gold and it just means that it's it's ready for shipping. But That's back so 15 boring. years ago, it actually meant something because it means yeah. the game's done. It's finished. But nowadays, they keep working on it right up to release. <laughs> you get the day one patch and it's completely meaningless. And, you know, to put that into further perspective, when Cyberpunk 2077 uh, went gold, it was still delayed after that yep. by another month or so as well, too. So it, it, in 2023, it's pretty much meaningless. But I think game companies still like to do it as a way to let their audience know, oh, it's coming. Things are happening. Uh, We're not lying this time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really made um, the game finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which for this game to yeah. go gold is pretty wild because it has been in development since I believe like 2012 or 2013. Um, and Something and I'm like I'm super excited for Dead Island 2, but not because I think it's going to be a good game, but because it has this massive question mark on it for me. Uh, if I had to tally up all the reasons why it, it w- would be good and would or or might be bad, I'd definitely s- say that it, it I'd be leaning more towards the bad category because. <laughs> Oh, and any game that has been delayed this much, and not to mention it's changed developers, I believe, four times now. Yeah. It's never usually a good sign. I'd say look to things like Duke Nukem or uh, The Last Guardian. Um, I'm not expecting a stellar title here, but I'm, I'm just excited to see it, just to see what it's going to be, because I feel like it's either going to be a disaster or... Oh yeah, who knows? I'm just I'm so pumped to see it because Aaron's so excited for it. I just I don't know. I don't see in any conceivable reality this being decent. But what they've showed recently, the most recent trailers, actually looks kind of cool as well. So yeah, yeah, big big question mark on this one. I'm very much looking forward to when that comes out, April 21st. Will I pick it up? Uh, I don't know. Wait and see. If we have Aaron on that week on the podcast, then uh, then we're all set because he can play Perfect. it. Perfect. We can hear <laughs> all about it. We can hear <laughs> all about how amazing it is, even if it's not. There you go. And the, the first story was for Aaron, Lockie, but this next story is for you, my Ooh, friend. Oh, shit. What the, are we talking about? Oh, now, I, I know you're going to be excited about this because you absolutely adore the previous title. I, I, I'm just realizing now, I don't think I know how to say the name of the developer. Is it Fireaxis or Furaxis? Furaxis. Furaxis. Yeah, okay, well, the new head of Furaxis, Heather Hazen, has announced the next Civilization game is in development. So there's no title yet, but it's very likely going to be Civ 7. Uh, and uh, Steve Martin, who, not <laughs> the Steve Martin bet. you're thinking of, has left the studio after 27 years. So now Heather Hazen has taken over as the head there. But Ed Beach, mm. the uh, creative director of the previous Civ, Civ game, Civ 6, uh, uh, he's going to continue on. 
for Civ 7. So, Lockie, yeah, Civ 7, it's a coming. It's it's going to happen. Who knows when? I, I mean... <laughs> yeah, it's official. Yeah, it's it's nice that they're confirming it, but, like, we, we all kind of knew it was going to happen eventually. It's just <laughs> such right. a successful franchise. Um, Civ 6 sales has been just absolutely insane, and they've monetized it to all fuckery. They've released a thousand different re-releases and limited edition versions where they bundle everything together. Um, they've released so much ongoing DLC content and expansions. They've released a whole bunch of leader, um, Civ leader expansions over the last couple of weeks for free. Um, and it, it's fucking great. Um, I, <laughs> I, I love it. They even get Sean Bean to voice act everything. It's, it's just Amazing. fantastic. You, you can, um, you can definitely tell he's getting increasingly tired with each <laughs> sort of like coming back into the productions. He sounds more and more tired with each new leader. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> he, he, he's really i don't know i don't know how they go about engaging him but it seems like he's i don't know he sounds like he's not getting paid for this it sounds like he got paid a long time ago and he's got some sort of contract commitment that he just has to do it, uh, it, it this is sean bean maybe it's like some kind of meta story that they're telling and the narrator is going to die at the end of civ 7 oh my god because like it's sean bean he has to die eventually if he's mm acting in something i mean like i hope they bring him back because i think he's <laughs> amazing and he's just he's just got such a great voice and his accent's one of those really interesting ones where it's british but it's not quite british you know what i mean i think it i think it's like it's like in one of the northern regions of britain so it's got a little bit of this sort of scottish lilt to it or something mm. i can't quite work it out um but yeah it that game is absolutely fabulous i have sunk so much time in it. I actually tried firing it up yesterday, but they've done some weird fucking user agreement bullshit where it's not compatible with all the mods that I've made recently to make everything look bigger on a 4K screen. So I actually can't play it at all at the moment. Um, So it's just funny that we're getting all this news and I'm screaming at some of the recent adjustments they've made. One of the things I don't like about for Axis, or maybe it's 2k games i can't tell who's behind this but they always they're always updating their end license user agreement and it drives me up the fucking wall i, I don't know it's just very <laughs> off-putting it's just very off-putting it's like how what are you doing that requires this much changing so frequently you don't have also, to go back to the um, terrible Switch version now, Lockie. Yeah, and also, why is my system always melting? Like, I've got the, I've got the most current, I've got the most current processing shit, and my system is still melting. Um, <laughs> like whenever, whenever the game's running, and it's just like, how is the game so poorly optimized that it's just basically getting your CPU to melt? It's not that advanced. Like, it, it's good. <laughs> it looks nice. Looks great on a four K, but it's not that fucking huge yeah 2016 I mean. game it shouldn't be melting yeah 30 yeah. 30 70 yeah yeah. It? yeah 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 uh, 3080 and it's and it, it's definitely yeah. up to an optimization issue like they basically designed it so it would throttle whatever whatever is running um no matter what it is in order to play the game and it's just strange okay fair enough uh, matt are you a civ fan at all do you excited for civ 7 so, I mean, I do like the Civ games. I haven't played all of them. I played Civ Five a lot because it was always on sale on Steam. And so, like, a bunch of my friends and I picked it up. And it's, like, the forever game that we never finish. Like, we always start a new game, 
a new multiplayer game. We start it. We play it for four hours. Then we never go back to it. Then when we come back to <laughs> Fair it, like, enough. four months later, we're like, oh, well, we should play. We should just start from the beginning because I don't remember where we left off and so <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. It's why it took me almost five years or four years to beat Divinity Original Sin 2 because I'd keep restarting it with a different group of friends and never get through it. Until, oh, my God. Uh, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, uh, me and three other friends finally, like, just we every Monday, we're going to play until we get through the game. And we did that and we finished it late last year. Uh, so that was fun. But uh, but I mean, I like for access. I haven't picked up Midnight Suns yet. I've heard mixed things about it. But like I heard as a Marvel fan, it's actually a lot of fun. Um, and that the at least like the like in between, like I mentioned, I like Mass Effect. I love the in between moments on the Normandy and stuff. And I hear that Midnight Suns has a ton of that stuff, like the, the team getting to know each other and hanging out. And so I've wanted to play it. Um, I'm sure Civ 7 is going to be great. I won't buy it when it comes out. I'll buy it when it's on sale and I'll play with my friends. But they're always a good time. Uh, so I'm glad that the, the diehards who love these games are going to get their new game. Because when when a franchise like Civilization that's been pretty consistently good for so long, it's like everyone's going to just get excited for the new one again. I'm curious how it'll run on next-gen consoles because there hasn't been one that has come out for the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. So I'm curious they always usually do a decent job with their console ports, so I'm curious. Yeah, the Switch ran the the Switch ran it surprisingly well. Like, I mean, I mean, it it, it crashes and it's buggy as fuck. But like, considering the, I know Zach is just shaking his head. By the way, because I know I'm always whinging about it. But like the way that the controller optimizations worked, it felt so good. Like the Switch, yeah. okay. they really fucking nailed it in terms of the actual user experience, and they worked with what they had because the game is a poorly optimized based game yeah. on the PC. So right. I was I was shocked that they were able to even get it to run at all on the Switch. <laughs> Okay, yeah. okay, that that was it. It was magic that it was even on there because that's the. I oh know yeah, you told me as the game would progress, the frame rate would get worse and worse. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you can't play past like a hundred turns and uh, <laughs> in a map above small without your your little switch melting, but. You know, what they were able to do, it still does need a bit of a shout out there. Would have been nice if Nintendo could release a decent fucking hardware in their console. Maybe next gen. Who knows? Uh, don't. I wouldn't. Wouldn't. No. No. I know they. They need to keep costs down. I guess. Well, the version of this title on Switch, I wouldn't have wanted to check out because the PS5 one, I can't say I was too impressed with either, and that is Sonic Frontiers. Uh, but Sonic Frontiers has greatly exceeded sales expectations. Uh, Makoto Takahashi. Uh, has said this, the number of units sold greatly exceeded the full year plan at the beginning of the fiscal year. Uh, so we're looking to see the budget for major Sonic titles to be expanded a bit in the future, which is pretty cool to see. Uh, Matt, did you check out Sonic Frontiers at all? I did, and I was actually one of the more vocal supporters of the game. I very much enjoyed yep. it. Um, I... I get people's complaints about it, right? Like, we've seen so- tons of shoddy open worlds, and like, as far as being an in-depth, well-lived-in open world, it doesn't really have it. But I got to run super fast and do tons of obstacles <laughs> and jumps and flips and tricks in a giant, a fairly large open world as Sonic. And I've wanted that for a long time. And that that game loop of just running around was fun for me. You know, the mm. stages that you would go into, the fishing with Big, all of that stuff was hit or miss. But I think the base... like. 
it was the most innovative they've been with Sonic in a very long time, you know, and I've liked some of the other 3D outings. I, of course, love Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. I liked Sonic Generations, which was more recent, but then, you know, we got um, Sonic Mania, which was fantastic, and then Sonic Forces, which was not fantastic. And so, like, <laughs> to get a Sonic game that at least felt fun to play on any level and had an actually pretty great story if you stuck it out because the it showed character growth and interesting developments for the characters that we hadn't really seen in the narrative in a while. They hired the guy who does the Archie comics to write the game, which really showed. I'm excited that it exceeded expectations because I want another one of these because I do believe that if we get a Sonic Frontiers 2 or just a sequel to this game and engine, we'll get something really special. Um, I'm excited they have a, a DLC release plan. They're going to add characters. Like, I think they can probably milk this game to get it to a place where it could hit those expectations, but I still think it's far better, even in its broken state, than anything that they've done with Sonic in the 3D range in a long time. Uh, also, the music just kicks ass. Every time you do a boss battle as Super Sonic, <laughs> there's heavy metal playing, and it just rules. It is really cool. Also, you, since the first time since I think, like, I don't know, the last 2D game, Super Sonic was a mechanic and not just a end game stage, right? Like in the old Sonic Adventure games and some of the other games since, you become Super Sonic to defeat the final boss. In this, every time you fight a boss, you turn into Super Sonic, and that was pretty neat. Uh, the Dragon Ball Z ripoff that it is, but I think they know that at this point, right? <laughs> That's part of the gag. Uh, so I'm glad that it's going to hopefully get a bigger budget for the next one because a bigger budget means better testing, better development, mm. maybe take their time with it. Like, I don't need another one of these for another five years or even like six years. Like, take your time and make a better game. But uh, but it, it's exciting to hear that like it it outsold. You know, there are other games that have gotten better or more positive reviews that have undersold. Like Midnight Suns, I mentioned earlier, apparently bombed comparatively to what their projections were, and that's sad because it's a cool Marvel title that's very different from the other Marvel stuff we've seen. So, you know, it's nice when a game that didn't quite hit the expectations still sold well. So maybe they'll get another shot. Marvel Sons, actually, I'm curious about this because it sounds like you played it. Is there like, is there lots of gacha monetization stuff going on behind the scenes if you pick up that title? Not that I know of. I haven't played okay. it, but I've watched some friends play it and watched okay. some streams of it. I do want to pick it up, but from yeah. what I can tell, it doesn't have the usual microtransaction BS. Uh, okay, but I'm speaking from a place of not having actually played it. Yeah. Because that's why I've I've stayed clear of it. Is I I don't know where I saw it, and perhaps this is completely wrong. But I I I I don't know. I saw footage of it, and I just felt like oh mobile game no stay clear stay clear uh yeah I, c I can see why you might be thinking that because they do in the combat they use cards for yeah, their, card their strategy and as soon, uh, as soon as you see cards that just sets yeah. off alarm bells of like you know yeah. poorly monetized mobile game but i've heard the main criticism with midnight suns has been with the uh, the 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 story and the the yeah. characters and the writing, um, but the gameplay is meant to be qu quite top notch. So, uh, yeah, so, so, something to consider maybe. Mm. Uh, but but getting back to Sonic Frontiers, uh, I, I played Sonic Frontiers when the podcast was on break, and I definitely fell into the other camp of of, uh, of players as far as Sonic is concerned. I I was not the biggest fan of the title, but there was something about it that just kept me wanting to play it and I mm -hmm. bothered getting the platinum for it. So I must have enjoyed it to some degree and yeah the 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 platforming sections all the different obstacles were a lot of fun. I, my issues were more in yeah just the open world and the combat, but you could see there is the bones of a really 
good game there. So to know that it's exceeded sales expectations is awesome because, yeah, we're most likely going to get another one. And now saying that, yeah, they're going to increase the budget, we could potentially get a really, really cool Sonic game in the future. So, yeah, it's nice to know Sonic Frontiers walked, so hopefully Sonic can do some proper running <laughs> in, the, in the future. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah... Lockie, uh, do, do you care at all about future Sonic games getting a bit more of a budget and Sonic Frontiers sales? Uh, yeah, look, um, the, the Sonic fans... No, no, I'm happy for the Sonic fans and, and I'm glad that they're finally getting some quality content or at least the, the scaffold and bones of quality content to come. So hopefully, um, yeah, they'll get a, get a bigger, better title soon. Mm. I'm digging what they're doing at the moment with uh, with with games where they have the TV show show going at the same time and they're releasing movies like game game IPs are starting to branch out a lot more and it's just uh, it's nice to see the mainstream getting a bit more of our nerdy goodness that we've been enjoying for so long. If I yeah. see one more magazine or newspaper, they'll write that the vi- that this thing broke the video game curse in other media. <laughs> I'm going to throw something because they said it about Detective Pikachu, which I really enjoyed. They said it about the first Sonic movie, which I really enjoyed. They said it about the second one, and now they're saying it about The Last of Us. And don't get me wrong, I'm enjoying all of this stuff. But every time it's like, oh, the curse of the bad video game movie. Like, it's just... There's been plenty of good video game content, anime, TV shows. Also, the Street Fighter yeah. anime that came out in like the '90s was incredible. So, like, yeah. it's just you know, it's mainstream doesn't really pay a lot of uh, attention. But, but I'm it, excited. It, it's exactly like how um, a lot of movie releases over the last ten to twenty years would be spruiking. Um, this is the first movie to have a, a prominent female action lead role, and it's yeah. like. No, it's not. We had a shit ton of them in the 80s and they were really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, it's just that sort of stuff where it's like, no, it's not the first, but yes, it can be. It, it's a, It can be a big deal, but it's not the first. Everything's happened before. We're living in a time where, like, it's so cool to see interesting and different adaptations of stuff, you know. Uh, uh, what's fu- been fun for me is I loved The Last of Us, the game. I liked the sequel as well. And like, I'm excited to watch the show because my spouse couldn't play the games. The gameplay segments were too scary for them. But like, mm. those scary moments are much shorter and condensed in the TV show. And so they've been able to watch it with me and they're really enjoying it. And so like, that's why I like when these things jump to new medium because then people who maybe don't play a lot of games can still enjoy whatever it becomes next. Oh, you're absolutely right, Matt. I've been watching this. Uh, I've, I've been watching The Last of Us HBO show with my girlfriend, and she is not into games at all. But I've been able to introduce her to this universe through uh, through the TV show, and it's been so much fun. It's been so cool. Like she doesn't care at all when I'm like, "Oh, they did this different to the games." They did. This. She's like, oh, "Okay, very cool. Calm down." Uh, but for me, it's just it's so exciting. I'm so so giddy. With all of it, and I, ho- I I can't wait to see uh, things like you know the God of War show on Amazon and uh, the Horizon show that that's coming down the track. Uh, there's a lot of yeah, a lot of video game media on its way, and um, I'm sure probably a lot more articles about how the the curse of video game <laughs> media is over as well. Yeah, <laughs> but like yeah, but we're ushering in a new curse of Amazon adaptation media. Yeah, yeah. So like I yeah, you said, Oh, God of War's coming and, and my brain I, I lit up and then I heard Amazon. Yeah. And then it cr- <laughs> and then it crashed. <laughs> 
Oh no. Uh, well, look, this this next story is the biggest story of the week, and uh, I decided to to put this into the doc. We don't usually talk about you know do, do review roundups or anything like that, but I, we're not going to be covering the PSVR two. That that thing is just far too expensive. I'm not picking it up yeah. just to cover on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day we might be lucky enough to to have a guest on who, who who's deciding to grab one, but it's it's definitely not not me. And I know Lockie, you're not going to be picking yeah, it up. Fuck that's no. for sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the reviews of the, the PSVR 2 have started releasing this week. It's obviously not available to pick up yet. I believe it's Wednesday next week, the 22nd of February, that it's going to be released. Um, but yeah, we have reviews for the PSVR 2 and uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain as well. Uh, the consensus seems to be that it's a decent piece of kit. However, it lacks games and the starting price, if you don't own a <laughs> PS5 already is incredibly high. Uh, yeah, this games. This excerpt <laughs> comes out of uh, Tech Radars, written by Reese Wood. Sony has nailed virtual reality on its second try with the PSVR 2. Yes, it's an expensive piece of equipment, but one that sets the bar high for future console-based virtual reality headsets and is also more affordable than a similarly powerful PC VR kits. PSVR 2 is an experience that'll be well worth your hard-earned cash, especially as more exclusive games roll in. And Kyle Orland over at Ars Technica said, as much as we like the design and tech upgrades of the PSVR 2, it's hard to see it fundamentally winning many new converts to virtual reality's persistent niche. If you find yourself in the Venn diagram sweet spot of people who are both interested in virtual reality and haven't yet invested in a more robust non-Sony VR platform, the PSVR 2 is there for you to dip your toes in the water, much as Sony still seems to be doing. Yeah, so sounds like a good piece of kit, but incredibly expensive, particularly if you don't already own a PS5, um, which makes a lot of sense to me. Matt, do, do you have any interest in picking up the PSVR 2 at all? Uh, no, I don't think I'll pick it up. I, The fact that it's as expensive or more expensive than a PS5 is kind of ludicrous to me. I... Look, I don't fault anybody who likes VR. I think it's a cool toy, but as a way to play games, I used to groan when having to stand up to play the Wii. So, like, to have to get into a whole <laughs> setup yes. to just play the the VR. Like, I've do- I've played VR before. It's cool. It's really neat. It's a little disorienting, but like, I get the hype for it. It's just it's not my thing. I don't I don't I don't want to do that. I want to be immersed in the story with good storytelling, like a good movie or a good book or anything else. I don't need to yes. literally be in the action. Uh, it's oh. just. Oh my god, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I couldn't say it better, better myself. I, I hate... I, I, look, I don't hate VR. I like the idea of VR, but every time I've done it, um, for whatever reason, um, I think I need glasses, and the VR makes it very clear that I need glasses. Um, so I always get <laughs> massive headaches, and like my eyes are just absolutely fucked. Um, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good for the human brain to have screens literally like an inch away from your eyeballs. Yeah, I don't know what not. it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it's great. Cause I immediately was like, oh shit, I need glasses. Don't I? And, um, <laughs> like I find it very, very entertaining that the way that it's being pitched is that like, it's this new revolutionary thing. Oh, it's so great. Um, what I'm hearing is that it sounds like it's similar levels of hardware that already exists. It's slightly cheaper. So 
so who is this for? Because if it's for yeah. new people that aren't or that haven't already invested, as you say, um, Matt, they haven't already invested in you know a top-notch headset. It's like, well, they already have their fucking expensive headsets. So what is the new that you're actually going to get from this, other than the two new games, which is their big selling point? But yeah. uh, unless those games are enough to to purchase, you know, four hundred dollars a piece for each of those games. Because you have to factor in the cost of the headset as well. Pretty expensive yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what Sony's going to do with this one. I imagine they've spent so much money designing this thing and producing this thing. And and I, I, there was a story a few weeks back saying they had to lower their projections for how many they were going to sell. Like, they were yeah. heading into <laughs> a worldwide recession. It is the worst possible time I can imagine to release a, a piece of gear like this and and as you've both mentioned it's it's just it's hitting a weird spot as far as how much it costs as well like if you if you're really really into VR you're probably going to buy a decent rig and a uh, and, and like a, a a decent headset on on its own like for the PC because there's already loads of VR games available on the PC that are all yeah. that are all going to work. You don't have to deal with any of this weird stuff like uh, the PSVR 2 can't play PSVR games unless they've it been seems remade for the PSVR 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. insane. Just, insane. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I think it's really bizarre. Also, like, they have a Horizon title that's specific to this, and I liked the first Horizon game. I haven't played the sequel yet. I get why people like it, and I think it's a solid franchise. I just... Mm. I don't know. I just don't think that's a system seller. Like if they had gotten Half-Life Alex f- to be on it, like that's a huge Half-Life title that's only in VR, which made tons of folks upset. But like it's a big deal for VR owners. And like imagine being someone who doesn't have a gaming PC, but maybe played Half-Life a couple generations ago on the Xbox or whatever, and you can't play Alex because you still don't have a gaming PC. And then it comes to the PS uh, PSVR two, like that would be a system seller, right? Because it's a big yeah. franchise, a big deal. But they 100%. don't have something like that. Like, and I'm sure Beat Saber is going to come to it if it hasn't already. Beat Saber's on everything, but like, mm. who's going to buy it for Beat Saber when it's, Beat Saber's been on PC? It's been on the other consoles. It's on the Meta Quest. Like, it just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. Beat Saber, we already covered off in our first story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, different Beat Saber. Uh... <laughs> No, that's that's meat saber, very similar, but it's very similar, very different. There. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just I don't. It just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense to me. No, no none yeah. of it makes any sense. I I think they invested a whole ton of money into it in the emerging technologies, didn't know what the fuck to do with it, and now they just need to push it out and try and recoup some of their losses, however they can, and then yeah. they and then it's dead because like none of the they they don't. There's not enough titles. For it yeah. to be its own thing to justify launching an entirely separate model or ecosystem. Yeah. So I, I just don't. They've also of... struggled with external hardware often. Like their consoles do pretty well, mostly, except for the PS3. But the rest of them have really done well in their markets. But then the PS Vita, the PSP, both also don't get me wrong, actually quality systems that had some cool stuff, but they just don't know how to market these other things. Like consoles, they do okay because they kind of sell themselves because they've got a fan base at this point. But the other stuff just seems to kind of burn like burn bright and then die out because I don't think they get the kind of third-party support that they need. And right now, this has one first-party game and almost no third-party support. So, like, I mean, if that stuff starts to come in, it could sell well, but I don't see it right now. 
Yeah, I think Sony needs to speak to uh, the San Wei company over in China and integrate the robotic vagina with the PSVR right. two. I, I could see yeah. that being a yeah. massive That'll... sales booster. Well, uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but other than that, I don't see them <laughs> uh, see them doing well here. And uh, you, you mentioned before, like they they need some kind of system seller, Matt. Uh, I think I think you're right there, and it sounds like. Horizon Call of the Mountain isn't it. The reviews have come in and it's sitting at like, you know, a respectable 79% on Metacritic, which isn't too bad. But when you're trying to sell an, a very expensive piece of hardware, it's not your Half-Life Alex kind of a thing, where which yeah. got your nines and tens out of tens. It's uh, It sounds like it's very middling. Uh, Kieran Verbruge out of Press Start said, Horizon Call of the Mountain is exactly the killer app that PlayStation VR 2 needed to really sell the promise of its hardware and feature set, even with a couple of stumbles. Okay, so they were very positive on it. But Simon Cardi over at IGN had this to say, Horizon Call of the Mountain's ex- exciting highs elevate it just above its often monotonous climbing mechanics to create a fun first blockbuster scale entry into the PSVR2 library. So b- both pretty positive comments, but still, you know, nothing, not a must buy, which yeah. is what I think Horizon Call of the Mountain uh, needed to be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how how the PSVR 2 is going to look in, in the future. Uh, what, what do you think of Horizon Call of the Mountain's performance here, Lockie? Do, do you think it uh, spells I, I bad news for the PSVR? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, like, if that's their flagship title and it's only got 79, and that's critics, by the way, and critics generally mm. rate higher than the users because... Mm. I don't fucking know. Uh, oh, actually, no. It's quite cl- it's quite clear. It's because it's all pre-release, so they're sending it out to critics that have already given you know historically favorable reviews in that area. So they're trying to hedge their bets. Um, mm. So like, y- 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 there's a good chance you'll be getting quite a significant lower user score from that. Yeah. Um, I-, I don't know. Is it good? Um, is is the game good? Yes, but is it four hundred to five hundred dollars good? That's a hard sell. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. No, not looking good for the PSVR two, in my opinion. The the other sticking point for it, uh, apparently, um, the the Meta, the Meta Quest, which is available now, is completely wireless. Whereas yeah. this, oh, and this has, has a, a wire that hangs over yeah. you. So yeah, I've heard that they've done a good job with it. It's just the one cord. It plugs directly in the console, and it sort of falls over your back shoulder. But as soon as you're having to do any 360s you're turning around or moving your arms around a lot uh then yeah it's going to get in your way a little bit um yeah so lots lots of uh, asterisks here with the ps vr2 uh we'll see if we have any asterisks here on any of the games coming up in the next week Oh, we have Atomic Heart. That's coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC, February 21st. I believe that's coming to Game Pass for people who have Game Pass. Like a Dragon, Ishin is coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC as well. Uh, Ultimate Sackboy is coming to iOS, February 21st. Digimon World Next Order is coming to PC and Nintendo Switch February 22nd. Also February 22nd is Horizon Call of the Mountain and the PS VR 2. Uh, February 23rd, we have Blood Bowl 3 
coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Chef Life, a restaurant simulator, is coming to PS5, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Nintendo Switch. Company of Heroes 3 is coming out February 23rd as well. <laughs> Far out, it's a big week. Uh, that's coming to PC. Sons of the Forest, also coming to PC February 23rd. February 24th, we have Atlia Riser 3, Alchemist of the End <laughs> of the End and the Secret Key. Wow. What was that all was that all one title? title? Yeah. <laughs> the fucking Atelier Atelier Riser 3, Alchemist of the End and the secret key so it's the end e-n-d and why why put those what words? i know it, it just screams from a brand perspective <laughs> don't buy this game like i i could not be more put off kirby's return to dreamland deluxe is coming february 24th to nintendo switch and octopath traveler 2 is coming february 24th to nintendo switch ps5 ps4 and pc matt did any of those titles stand out to you at all oh yeah uh so i'm a big yakuza fan uh i during the pandemic uh i a lot of folks online know this i'd had the unfortunate event of the roof of my apartment building catching fire and being displaced for almost 18 months uh we own our apartment we're back now it's rebuilt everything's okay but during that time i i discovered yakuza zero i think it was on game pass and immediately became obsessed with it i loved it so much i went to kawami one I, I, I thought you were about to take that in a different direction say the japanese mafia helped you out <laughs> things. if only if only um they would have gotten shit done uh but I, I just fell in love with the franchise. Uh, my spouse got me the remaster collection for PS4, played through all of that, got uh, six, and then got even like a dragon, which I played last year for the first time and loved the whole franchise. And so this is a, Ishin is a remake of a PS, I think either three or four game that was a spinoff. It's about Japanese folklore, but they've kind of inserted all of the yakuza characters to play these folklore characters and uh it looks really fun it looks like the other yakuza games i'm really excited for it um i'm a, a sycophant for those games at this point point. and then i'm a big jrpg fan i loved the first octopath traveler it was not a perfect game it had some flaws but all in all it was gorgeous the soundtrack was great characters are great and this one looks like it's gonna be a lot of fun also if you're a jrpg fan it's definitely the standard square enix uh, JRPG stuff. I'm curious about Atomic Heart. It has that kind of Bioshock vibe to it that in the trailers and so I kind of want to try it but I don't know if I'm going to pick it up just yet. If it's on Game Pass then maybe I'll give it a download and a try but the big ones for me are definitely Ishin and Octopath Traveler 2. Mm, I've, I've heard good things about Ishin as well too so yeah. Yeah the um, review started coming out on the 17th uh, because that's when the early access began. If you uh, by the digital version and yeah a friend of mine over at destructoid eric van allen wrote a great article about it uh and kind of set off all the bells and whistles in my brain of the things that i like from those games like kind of throwing attention <laughs> on them and so i was like oh all right uh the only reason i haven't done the early access is because i want to get through the game i'm playing that i'll talk about in impressions and i know if i start playing a new yakuza game that's it all bets are off that's all i'm gonna be playing <laughs> oh totally fair Lockie. any of those titles stand out to you um yeah, look, Atomic Heart I'm interested in. It's always interesting mm. to see, you know, what sort of Disney characters will be released in the next Heart game. So <laughs> well, I, I hope Maleficent makes a return. I always enjoy Maleficent. Um, yeah. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. 
Octopath Traveler 2 I'm probably the most interested in. I... I... I didn't say I loved the first game. I liked the idea of it and I liked what they were putting out to the table. Um, I really enjoyed the artistic style. The music is great. Um, the gameplay, um, very bravely default-esque. Um, yeah. So, you know, I like... I, 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 it had a lot of good working for it. The the things that it was kind of lacking in was a coherent story and yes. interesting stories. Like, it, it just very basic. Nothing really made sense and there was no overarching narrative. And that, that really put me off. So I, I'm hoping to get a little bit more of that in Octopath 2. I don't think... I'm going to quite get what I want, having played a little bit of the demo, um, and we'll talk into that a little bit more after the break. Okay, curious. Yeah, no, I'm curious about Atomic Heart. It sounds like a game that would be for me. Uh, unfortunately, it's not. Oh, it is coming. Oh, it is coming to PlayStation on the Tuesday as well. But uh, I've, I've got too much to play at the moment right now. <laughs> and I know, Lockie, you've got a decent PC and you've got Game Pass, so you can pick it up for the cost of Game Pass. Whereas for me, my PC is a potato and is not <laughs> going to run this game well at all. And this looks like if if it holds up to what the trailers have shown. It's going to be a very visually impressive game, but it's it's just a huge question mark for me. Uh, they've, they've made a lot of promises that if they can keep them, it, it will be a stellar title. Um, it looks really cool, but uh, it's, I'm not very familiar with this developer. Um, it's yeah, a big question mark f- for me, but I'm very curious about that. And it's coming out on a Tuesday, which is very cool. So not, not too far away at all. The day before the uh, PSVR is announced. Um, and yeah, I played like half an hour of the uh, Kirby Return to Dreamland Deluxe demo, and uh, I don't know, it's a it's a two D Kirby game. <laughs> it's I like, mean, it's, I like the Kirby games, but like I don't need to play this one again. Yeah, like I loved the new one; I thought it was fantastic, and I'm a big fan of the franchise. Return to Dreamland's a fun game. It was on the Wii, I think, um, mm. but I just don't know that it needed a remaster. I mean, look. I like Kirby games. When this comes out, a ton of Kirby games will now be on one console, especially with the Nintendo Switch Online stuff. But it was a fine game. It wasn't the the all-star that a lot of the other Kirby games that came after it were. So, Yeah, I think I've, I think I've given up on the Kirby franchise. I, I think Nintendo designs them specifically with very, very young gamers in mind. Like, like three-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> um and and I just can't not anymore. I just can't play these games. Okay. I I enjoyed them when I was young and I was new to them, but I I just can't do it. It's just like switching off all the lights. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the Kirby games for me, they, they, they do have a bit more challenge on the back end. There is some more challenging stuff when you get like deeper into the games. Yeah, but yeah, for me, uh-huh. I, I, I do kind of feel feel the same. Um, I, I've got Mario, uh, mm. Kirby. I don't really, really need it personally. Uh, we'll, we'll use the fuck out of Kirby in some Smash Brothers though, that's for sure, because I'm not good at Smash. <laughs> no, I'd love to be able float back up onto that map. <laughs> Smash, Smash is great. If Kirby played like Smash, then there wouldn't be any problem. <laughs> well, that'll do us for the games coming up in the next week. Let's take a brief break and then we'll jump back on in with the games that we've been playing. Matt, 
You are our guest. It is tradition on News to Reviews for our guest to get us kicked off with impressions. What have you been playing this week, my friend? So uh, I was up until the Nintendo Direct playing uh, Persona 5 Royal. Um, I uh, famously, for anyone who follows me on Twitter, I hated the game originally on PS4. I tried to play the first 10 hours of just the original Persona 5 and I just could not get into it i i don't know it just felt like too time consuming boring i don't know what it was then they announced royal and then uh the incredible west um west leblanc over at game informer did like a gameplay video of like the first 30 minutes and it looked great on switch and i was like this looks great for a switch port like typically switch ports really suffer but it looks gorgeous (laughs) it looks like it's almost running at 60 maybe i should give it another try i was like oh do i need another rpg well, let me try it. And so I picked it up and I love it. <laughs> I think that for me, I love handheld gaming. Like I should say that up front, like the Switch, my Steam Deck. If I can lay on the couch with my dog next to me playing a game, that's the ideal situation. I love my PS5 and I like playing on the TV, but I prefer handheld mm. gaming I have since I was a kid. And so there was something about Persona 5 then being handheld. I think the thing is that you're going through every day of a year, like, and it's a school year and like you do certain things every day. And I think... On the Switch, you can put it into standby at any time. You can just put it to the side. And I think it's a much yeah. more bite-sized game on a bite-sized system. And so I've been loving no, that. Not to mention being turn-based, I think, is yeah. uh, handheld is the perfect place to play a turn-based game. You don't have oh, to worry yeah. about your frame rate as well. And Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd been playing that. And then, of course, during the Nintendo Direct that you were bored by, excuse me, like you didn't <laughs> find it interesting. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but the, during the Nintendo Direct, they shadow dropped Metroid Prime Remastered. And uh, famously, I was an idiot. Uh, you might call me a fuckhead uh, when I was a kid. And for some reason, during the GameCube era, I looked at games like The Wind Waker and Metroid Prime Remastered because they were different from what I grew up with. I went, oh, those are dumb. I don't want to play them. Famously, two of the best (laughs) games Nintendo has ever made. And I turned my nose up at them (laughs) as a kid, like an idiot. And so I've still never played Wind Waker, hoping to get that uh, HD uh, remaster on the Switch uh, that now lives in Wii U Purgatory. But uh, when they were rumoring Metroid Prime Remaster, I never played any of the Metroid Prime games because I wrote them off as first-person shooter games that I didn't play, which I play now. And so I was like, when they shadow dropped the remaster, I downloaded it instantly without a second thought because I love the Metroid franchise. I've played all the games, big fan of all of those games. And so, and I'd heard nothing but great things about this game. And so I've been playing that. I've sunk, I think, six or seven hours into it. Um, Metroid games aren't super long, usually anywhere between 10 to 15 hours long. Uh, and I'm loving mm. it. It's incredible. Uh, not only is it like, so they re- remastered it for widescreen, but like I've seen the side-by-side graphical comparisons. It's night and day. They didn't remaster this. They almost remade this game. Like it's just the textures are smooth. They look much mm. better. The environments are easier to see in. Um, and they mm. added a whole new control scheme. The original game, of course, being on the GameCube, had a single stick control so like you could look or move you couldn't do really both you didn't have a second analog stick even though we had the c stick it wasn't part of the controls and so you had a lock on so you could kind of follow stuff and better aim they added two joystick control to this game so they like the original control scheme is still in there but they added typical first person shooter controls to this famous first person metroid game and so that's been great it controls well no graphical issues sounds great looks great like it's just the Switch is a difficult hardware to love, right? Because as much as I love handheld gaming, it is struggling now. It's struggled with the Pokemon games lately, even though I enjoyed them. Like <laughs> Graphically, it's having trouble. But this game plays smooth as butter. 
If you are a Metroid fan, it is worth your time. If you are a first-person shooter fan who likes sci-fi games, I think it's also worth your time. It's interesting. It's mostly about the gameplay and puzzle solving and exploration. Narrative is in Codex and like, you know, small cutscenes. Samus, famously oh, okay. Samus in these games, voiced by Jennifer Hale of Mass Effect fame, just doing all the grunts and pain noises. Like there's no dialogue in the entire <laughs> game. Um, and I'm uh, a voice actor obsessive, so I know that because I recognize it and I look that stuff up. But it's fantastic. Well, if you are also looking for a game to get into the Metroid franchise with, I think it's also a good entry point because it's just it's its own story. It takes place between two of the old games. It's kind of like an independent story from the other games. There are characters and stuff that might turn up, but if you don't know them, it's not like I said, it's not dialogue heavy. So I don't think you'll be that okay. lost. Um, so, so I highly is it recommend similar it. Similar to the the only Metroid game I've played is Metroid Dread, where the story was very much just you're stuck here, you need yep. to get get the fuck out. Is is it similar <laughs> to that? So no, so you're not yes and no. I mean, this you're investigating a disturbance on a uh, a derelict freighter, and then you end up crashing. Or it ends up crashing on the planet below, so you go to explore. I mean, all the games yeah. come down to it's fucking Metroids, like. Stupid Metroids, the <laughs> stupid jellyfish, they're back. Uh, that's pretty much the whole story. But like, yeah, okay. I mean, narratively, it's the same. I would say Metroid Dread has more story because you get those cutscenes and those cinematic boss battles. Whereas this has, okay. it's mostly from your first person perspective. They pull out to show Samus doing stuff every so often, but most of the time it's first person. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if you enjoyed Dread's narrative enough and you enjoy the gameplay, I think you'd enjoy this because they converted the 2D mechanics to the 3D pretty well it's platforming in first person is always challenging um mm. but i think it's done well here it's not perfect there's some rooms where like i jump to the top miss a ledge and fall all the way down and i start cursing but like for the most part it, it's pretty seamless uh and the controls are way tighter than i expected especially for a game that came out 10 years ago more more than that i think um oh to, the the original metroid prime was uh 2002 yeah so wow <laughs> so, om- over 20 yeah. years ago uh it, it looks good for a 20 year old game like it, it's really impressive uh this mm. remaster i would i would hesitate to call it a remake fully because clearly it didn't add anything content wise but like a brand new okay. c- a control scheme a color uh color it's effectively a colorblind mode. I don't know what they call it in the game, but like if you have trouble seeing certain colors, you can change the color focus, which I think is brilliant in a game where you're in caves and like underground and underwater and stuff. Like I thought that was really smart. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's fantastic. I'm really enjoying it, and so that's been my focus. Uh, if we had spoken four days from now, I'd be neck deep in a new yakuza game which is which is right around the corner i've been playing a little bit of overwatch here and there too yes i know activision sucks yes i know they mistreat their employees i just feel the need to say it like they're a shitty company we all know bobby Kotick sucks he can get fucked but i still play overwatch uh overwatch 2 specifically uh and uh i've been enjoying it i just play with friends because the general internet sucks and Random people mostly suck in that game, so I only play with friends, but still have fun with that too. I'm right there with you, Matt. I, I do not play any more online PvP stuff. I I, I hung up my my DualShock Four <laughs> back in my early twenties, and I have no intention of ever p- picking it up again uh, from my Call of Duty days. But I just had a couple more questions about Metroid Prime. Um, sure. So because because I, I am really curious about this one. I had a lot of fun with Metroid Dread, though I didn't finish the last boss but that was a hard hard game yeah. uh, is is metroid prime difficult 
So that's another thing that they added to this that they then added into Dread later. Dread has a rookie mode now where it makes it a little easier and you can get through the game a little easier. Um, okay. They added a casual mode to this game because the Metroid games are notoriously hard. And what's always been ironic mm. about my existence is I railed against the Dark Souls games for being too hard. Like, fuck those games. They shouldn't be that hard. You should have an easy mode, blah, 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 that whole thing. <laughs> but then I yeah. played the Metroid games, which are some of the hardest games ever, and I never complained. So, like... <laughs> we all have our, our hangups, but uh, but yeah, so this one has a casual mode, which makes, I think, gives you more health, makes the enemies do less damage, things like that. It's not an easy game, but I don't, I don't think it's so challenging that you couldn't get through it. I've died on a couple of the bosses. I've had to do some backtracking, but that's kind of part of the Metroid ecosystem. Uh, but I wouldn't say anything is so hard that you couldn't, like, get it in a few, a few playthroughs. Also... They, you have a, a scanning tool in this game. You can change your visors. You can scan objects, which for me as an obsessive is a mistake because now every time I walk into a room, I scan the enemies, kill the enemies, scan the whole room, make sure that there are no secrets. But what's cool about that tool in this game is you can scan the bosses. If you can dodge them long enough, you can scan the bosses and it always gives you a hint about what their weakness is or how to attack them or yeah. a strategy for them, which I think is really useful because the other Metroid games didn't really have that. Um so oh, okay. I, I'd say it's not the most challenging Metroid game, but it's definitely not the easiest either. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. So like when you learn their weaknesses, like are they ever like psychological? Like they're going through a hard divorce? <laughs> Unfortunately, <or something>? no. <laughs> As mostly being alien and sentient plants and sentient <laughs> rock formations, they're not, not so much on the psychological side. It's mostly physical. <laughs> Oh, all the algae is avoiding me. What do I do? Um, yeah. uh, so, so, I'm so surprised they called Metroid Prime a remaster because yeah. it, they've upgraded at least as much stuff as what The Last of Us Part 1 remake has. You know, it's just a, mm -hmm. a new coat of paint with a few, maybe a couple of new mechanics and accessibility options. And the upgrade in visuals is so much. I I'm shocked they didn't market this one as a remake. Uh, and you mentioned they fixed up the, the controls with Metroid Prime. And it, we, t we mentioned before, this, the original Metroid Prime came out all the way back in 2002. Now, first-person shooters have come a long way since then. Uh, how does it hold up to modern shooters? That's such a great question. I mean... I think. Well, hello, Otis. Otis is making a cameo. Can you get down, buddy? <laughs> oh, hello, <laughs> Otis. You out? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Here. Okay. Oh. Chew on this for a bit. Come on, down, 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 down. See his little nose poking through the corner of the screen. <sighs> Matt's talking uh, to, dog, to their yeah. dog, Otis. Um, uh, <laughs> how does it compare to other first-person shooters? That's such a great question. I. Uh, I don't play a ton of first-person shooters these days. I have played more than I used to. Like, I love Doom 2016. I loved uh, the both Bioshock games. I think Bioshock 2 is better. Bioshock Infinite is awful and racist. If you play it now, it does not hold up, unfortunately, uh, in a way okay. that I don't think it was ever really held up at its time, but we were more ignorant, more forgiving. You pick. Um, but uh, I think it stacks up. I mean, it... It's not a PvP shooter, right? You're not playing against other players. It's slower, more plotting, but like you have a lock on because they didn't take that out for the dual stick control. So if you're having trouble aiming like me, because I suck at shooting, uh, you can lock on. But I, I mean, it's smooth. Mm -hmm. Like it's not fast. Um, it is more plotting and a little slower. Uh, but I definitely think the controls absolutely hold up. And if you like 
uh, more narrative driven uh, first person shooters like Titanfall and Titanfall 2 specifically and the like that kind of thing or your Bioshocks or whatever. I think you would very much enjoy this game, even not being a Metroid fan. Okay, well, you have just sold Metroid Prime <laughs> Remaster to me. Maybe I'll wait till the physical edition yeah. comes out. That way, I can you know trade it in or something later on. <laughs> so you're going to wait till it goes but... gold. Am I using that right? <laughs> <laughs> so nice oh, nice callback. Cool. Yeah, well, good. Right, well, well, well done, done. <laughs> well done, Lockie. Uh, do you think you've played enough of Metroid Prime Remaster to put a review score on it? I think I'm about halfway through. I mean. I, I mean, if I were reviewing, if I were rating it now, I would give it uh, 10, uh, you know, probably I'd say nine morph balls out of 10. Uh, I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's really solid. It's really good. It's not my favorite Metroid by any imagination. Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance will always be my favorite. Metroid Dread is a close second. That was a very tight, well-made 2D Metroid game that had such incredible cinematic storytelling and incredibly unique and awesome boss fights. So like, those are like my top. And then I I really like the Samus Returns remake. I played it on the 3DS a couple years ago. I got it way after it came out. I played it right before Dread came out because it was the same developers who did that remake on the 3DS. Um, but I think it's a very solid Metroid game. I think if you're looking for a different experience or you've bounced off of the 2D side-scrolling Metroids, this might be worth a shot. I think uh, it's definitely... I mean, it, it's considered one of the best games that Nintendo has ever released, so... My review doesn't mean shit, if we're honest. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's like someone shitting on Halo Infinite, which had its problems, but like it's a Halo game. Fans of Halo are going to play it. Doesn't matter what you say. Um, but yeah. I, I, I think it is a solid title. I think it is really well made. And I agree with you. I think we use the term remake and remaster so stupidly loosely. And like... Mm. Like it's one thing, like like the the Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition. That's a remaster, right? They made the graphics a little more upresed, but like they didn't really yeah. change that much, um, other than giving universal P, uh, controller controls on PC because none of their yeah. games had controller support on PC originally. Um, but this, like, I agree with you. Like the, the it's widescreen now instead of the box. It's, it's the graphics are so much better. The sound is so much better. The lighting is better. They added a whole new control scheme. Like. A casual mode, like I think it's closer to a remake than a remaster at this point. But uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's totally uh, totally worth it. It's worth the forty bucks. Like I think it's still a little pricey for a game that came out twenty years ago, but it's not sixty, yeah. which is usually what they do. So I'll take the win at this point. Yeah. No, I think uh, it might be my next Nintendo Switch game to pick up. I've put down Pokemon Scarlet. I've had enough of that. <laughs> Didn't quite finish it. Yeah, that's quite a callback. Pokemon Scarlet. <laughs> playing that a lot longer than anyone else. Jeez. Oh, it took me a long time to. When I got to the end game of that, I just I slowed right down. I was only playing like twenty minutes a night or something. I just got. I don't know. I think I might be done with Pokemon as a franchise. I found the online battles really fun. I got to say the the Pokemon yeah. like online scene is just fucking great. You mm. get a lot of um. Everyone's just using Garganackle, and it's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think uh, Metroid Prime might be the next one I, I pick up to play like half an hour or an hour of before I go to bed uh, on the old Nintendo Switch. Lockie, uh, you played a demo of a game coming up soon. Did you play that on the Switch or was that on Steam? <laughs> Yeah, so I've been playing on the Switch Octopath Traveler 2. So I only picked it up literally last night. I played like maybe up to an hour 
and then kind of was starting to fall asleep. So that's as far as I could get. Now, that's probably a really bad sign of what I have to say about this game. So let's go through it. Octopath Traveler is a turn-based RPG, similar to the style of Bravely Default, where you have your attacks, your skills, your classes, but you can also choose to allocate these boost points, which you generate over the course of the turn-based battles when you're not using them. So they allow you to do either multiple actions or make your, your attack or your spell a little bit more stronger. So it's useful for when you you need to switch between utility strategies, defense strategies, or when you want to go all out and smash the shit out of the thing you're hitting. So okay. I love that stuff. It's great. It adds this extra layer of complexity to, you know, w- what is arguably quite a tired model, um, you know, with turn-based. And it, it it definitely has a lot going for it in terms of the actual gameplay mechanics. I really, really enjoy it for that. Now, if you've played the first Octopath Traveler, you're not going to see a huge amount of different, to be honest. Um, I've only played one class. I played the Scholar class because he was the most interesting looking. So that's what I always base my narrative off, is who is the most interesting looking character. And he basically has the Mask of Zorro storyline that's played (laughs) by Anthony Hopkins in the first part of that game, which is fucking great. So so it's like a a prison break. And how did he get there? And how did his life get ruined? Um, So he's brooding over that and he has a muzzle on him so he can't cast spells which i thought was really nice touch uh and and you can tell straight out of the gate the storytelling is a lot more mature than the first game um i think they really listened to the feedback from people who played and enjoyed octopath one and and the general feedback was good game good bones stories really thin would be nice to have you know a little bit more meat on the bone there and i think they definitely delivered in that sense what i don't think they've done or at least what i haven't seen in this demo yet is what the fuck a cohesive narrative is and i think that's a problem because i mean you can release an anthology series where you introduce these characters in these little chapters but you need to have a hook and you just do. You need yeah. to have some sort of hook. It doesn't need to be particularly in depth. I don't know. Just have like a, a mysterious, shadowy creature being say, "You need to do this, or I'm going to blow up the planet." Blech. That's it. That's all you got to do. <laughs> and then you can go off and tell your little anthology story. You, you yeah. can lost treatment it. Um, so yeah, I I think it's still not quite hitting the mark in terms of being a fully fleshed out title of its own. It still kind of feels like a demo reel of what a a gaming model that fits within the 2D, 2.5D sort of graphics dimension that they have could be that's harkening back to the old days of turn-based game playing with customization in their class structures, but it's not quite being its own proper fully fledged full game which makes a lot of sense because that's why they released it in a demo that that's all you ever see with the demos um so i don't know i think it is a decent enough pickup if you were a fan of the first one you're definitely getting more of what you enjoyed from the original but you won't be getting much different in terms of the characters and customization so you'll be seeing very similar attacks very similar skill sets very similar classes um You'll be seeing slightly better written narratives. Now, the voice acting, hit and miss. Main character, phenomenal. Love it. 
love the actual main character, the side characters and supporting cast that they bring in voice actors. Some of them, I don't know, it doesn't sound very good. Um, even the voice recording itself sounds a little bit tinny and not really that professionally put together, um, which is a real shame to see in a title like this, particularly coming out of Square Enix. Usually they're quite good at the very least with that sort of stuff. Um, arguably mm. not so great in terms of their storylines at the moment. Um, I really, I, I really think Square Enix needs to figure out who Sony has basically, you know, rounded up and has just shackled into their basement and rescue them and offer them more money so they can start writing decent stories for their games. <laughs> Desperately need them to get better writers. Yeah, do, do you think you'll pick up Octopath 2 when it has its full release, like, next week? This is the thing, and this is what I've come to learn about myself through Fire Emblem Engage. All of that aside, you know, problematic stories aside, as long as there's a core gaming experience with the core combat, me- combat mechanics and it's challenging and complex, I will still pick it up and love the shit out of it. And um, Fire Emblem Engage did that for me in Maddening. The characters are terrible. The storyline is terrible. But fuck, the gameplay is 10 out of 10. <laughs> so well done. Um, and and with this, I haven't quite gotten that 10 out of 10 feeling yet. But it's challenging. And that's what exactly what I wanted to see in sort of those, those prologue um, demo chapters. I wanted to see, okay, is this game going to be just another... Keep pressing, keep pressing A in attack until you eventually win, or do you actually have to play around with the tactics and figure out how to do what the right optimized strategy is to get through this thing? And it looks like there's a lot more complexity going on there. So um, I noticed it immediately when I did my first boss fight, and I went, ooh, okay, this is going a lot longer than I've ever normally seen from these types of games which i love now i think that'll scare off a lot of people on the other side so it's it's a weird title it's a very weird title i think people that are really into strategic turn-based games will probably enjoy this um although you know the jury's out i only saw a snippet of what there is to see but um i don't really see what appeal this game has to newcomers and people that aren't particularly interested in that sort of franchise i don't know what their offer is okay so, I, th- I, got, I got a little bit lost there are you picking it up <laughs> yeah i don't know that's why you got lost i'm not sure okay. i'm a bit i'm a bit yeah no no yeah on it at the moment i'll have to Please, I, re- yeah. I really will need to treat this like pretty much every other square enix title and wait for everyone else to play it and tell me if it's good or not i can't take that risk Sorry, Square Enix. It's tricky at the moment because we have so many titles that are coming out. It's such a stacked first quarter of the year. You really, if if you're a gamer, you really have to allocate your time to where where you can. Uh, there are only so many so many hours in the day. Um, but the, there's also Sea of Stars coming up as well too. Mm. Lockie, does that have you excited at all? All right, so Sea of Stars very much reminded me of Chained Echoes. Um, in terms of the style, it felt a, it felt a little bit more indie in design, um, but not nearly as good. So uh, I'm not very interested in that one. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Is it just another turn page? Uh, just another. Yeah, Sorry to, turn. to put such, such disrespect onto this genre, but is it another turn-based JRPG? Is that what Sea of Stars is? 
It is another. Ter- it is just another turn-based <laughs> JRPG, and this one is very thinly designed in terms of customization and options. Okay. Its stat design is fucking the most bare minimum. It's like Pokemon esque, where you've got attack, magic attack, defense, magic defense, and that's fucking it with its stat gain. And I'm like, no, no, I'm putting my foot down. I need more stats. <laughs> I, I, and I know I'm a giant fucking nerd. I like Excel spreadsheets. I like numbers. I like percentages. I like stats. And don't, fuck off with this, like, fuck off with this nothing. And um, that's also my review for Harry Potter <laughs> in, their gear, in their gear design. Well, actually, that's pr- probably a good time to to briefly mention it, mention it. I talked about it a lot on the show last week, and b- you know, before we, we get into it, just really briefly, the author of of uh, the the uh, IP that this game is based on, I think her views are abhorrent. I do not like her at all, and do not agree with any of them. With that out of the road, um, I just keep enjoying Hogwarts Legacy more and more the more I play it. I, I, I'm shocked by how much is in the game, by how I'm f- nearly 40 hours in and I'm still being introduced to new things. There's the whole beast capturing mechanic, which you can breed the beasts and you can like set up these little little enclosures for them. It, it is absolutely wild the amount of stuff that they've they've continued to throw at me. Um. Yeah. Wow. I'm still really, really enjoying Hogwarts Legacy. What What was your issue with it, Lockie? Look, it's 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 a great game. Look, and that's what I need to get straight off, straight out of the gate. Great game. Beautiful, gorgeous visuals. Um, music is fantastic. Really evocative of everything in the movies. It's everything that um, a Harry Potter franchisee enjoyer could pretty much want from a video mm-hmm. game. Um, in terms of nostalgia, um, where I started losing interest almost immediately was in the combat and the design. So first of all, I'm playing it on the PC with my controller. I can't customize my controller maps and remap it the way I like. I like to have my dodge rolls. Um, uh, I like to have my dodge rolls on on a trigger. I don't like mm-hmm. having it stick to stuck on the interface. I find that really frustrating, and mm-hmm. they forced me into that. So that's immediately a no no from my from my standpoint and that's a very precious nitpick i i understand but the problem that i have with the actual combat is that it's it's decent it looks fantastic but there's not that much there you have your basic attack that's your basic attack for the entire game unless i I mean, I, I've sunk in about mm, five hours, so maybe you get more basic attacks and, and stuff to shake it up that way. But mm. for that, and then to have your spell list, it's just not quite enough to keep me engaged. You can't... It's like... I've literally just been... um come, Have just come off Elden Ring, and you can switch up weapons, and you have different combos and attack styles, and it's mm. shape, and you can do heaps of things to shake it up. You can't really do that all that much in this. Yeah, you can shake up your spell lists and you, your little mm. spell compositions, map to the four grid, and you can do, you know, four versions of that. So that gives you maybe sixteen. Uh, yeah, that gives you sixteen different spells or four different varieties of combos you can pull off. That's actually yep. not that much, and that's actually really fucking boring to me. Yeah, look, look uh, honestly, the, 
the combat system is really simple. I'd say you, you are still super, super early. And as I mentioned, I'm 40 hours in and I'm still getting new yeah. spells and new things to play with. I've still got a couple of combat spells left to to unlock. And it, it is simple, but in its simplicity, it allows you to pull off some really cool things. Uh, so now that I'm later into the game... I'm doing things like juggling enemies in the air uh, and, and stuff, and and it's it's just incredibly satisfying to you know like pull an enemy, uh, to, uh, sorry, to float an enemy into the air, then shoot off a through, uh, shoot off a few basic spells at them, and then before they hit the ground, use Accio to bring them in front of you, and then shoot off another few basic spells, then I throw know. a fire spell at them, and then use uh, Deposito to and, shoot them through the air. And the way you say it, it sounds so amazing and so interesting, but in actual, in reality, R2, 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 hold R2, B... R2, 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 hold R2, Y, R2, dodge. It's just boring. I I just can't. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) totally, totally fair criticism. It doesn't reach the heights of combat, like, say, you're you're God of War for me. That's still, it's always going to be my uh, pinnacle. Uh, But for me, I found it incredibly satisfying. Uh, Matt, have you had any interest in the Hogwarts Legacy title? No. Uh, nope. <laughs> no. Uh, I. It is not my job to educate folks on the internet, but the Goblin storyline is incredibly anti-Semitic, and as a Jew, I mm. just... They, like, look, uh, I, I try not... I A little bit about me. I didn't play Red Dead Redemption because of the working conditions at Rockstar. I didn't play Cyberpunk Mm. because of the transphobic bullshit that they put in the game itself, as well as how they treated some of their employees. Like, that's my choice. I I would like for other people to make those choices, but I can't make them. With the Harry Potter game, it's like, I, I loved those movies. I loved those books. I'm in that camp with all those people. But between J.K. Rowling's bullshit and the way they treat goblins, which I didn't even like, I saw all those movies like everybody else did. I didn't see it initially, and I'm Jewish. Yeah. Um, I just I can't engage with it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you fuck you both for playing it. Like whatever. <laughs> that's not the point here. Like that's not like yeah. plenty of other people have written incredible articles about this game and why you should or yeah. shouldn't play it or why they think it's bad for a ton of reasons. I just yeah. I have no interest in engaging with it. It's just not not a thing, especially when there's so many other games that don't have any of that baggage that I can play. <laughs> like you said, there are yeah. a million games coming out every day, so, you know, but so I haven't I haven't I've done enough research to know why there are issues with it, but I have not I've not played it. Yeah, that's totally fair. The uh the goblin stuff, uh, like you I never really understood that as a kid, but <laughs> watching back, I, I watched like the start of the first Harry Potter movie, and yeah, the second you're at Gringotts, that 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 becomes incredibly obvious. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how no one saw that at the time, or if it's just a matter of people see it and they just don't care. Uh, I mean, I yeah. think it's a matter of there are not enough Jews writing those movies, working on those games, which is. I don't think anyone's fault per se, but like, you know, it's like writing a story about a person of color with no people of color on staff. It's the same thing, right? You're going to make mistakes because you don't have that lived experience. And so it is what it is. It's part of the lore of Harry Potter. So like it sucks and it's wrong, but it's that's what that's how that world is. You know, that's how JK wrote it, which 
explains other issues, I suppose, at this point anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, no, totally fair. Uh, yeah, well, Hogwarts Legacy, I believe we can leave it there for this week. Uh, I might have it finished by next week. I may, if I have it finished by next week, I'll put a review score on it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But that'll do us for news to reviews for another week. Matt, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had an absolute blast having you on. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. You're both great. This was delightful. Um, I hope that more folks listen to the show. Um, if this is the appropriate place to tell folks where they can find me, I am, uh, as long as Twitter still exists, which, you know, every day, who knows if it'll <laughs> still be around. But while it is, DJ underscore Stormageddon on Twitter. I'm DJ underscore Stormageddon in most places. Uh, the best place to find all of my stuff is DJStormageddon.com. Uh, all of my podcasts are there, the Patreon for Fun and Games. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast right now and you have not rated or reviewed this podcast, please do it. If you have a podcaster friend in your life, that is the best thing you can do for them. While I would love for anyone listening to go to my Patreon and spend some money, uh, ideally, rating and reviewing a podcast really does help. We've literally gotten listeners who've said, I saw this review on Apple Podcasts. I checked out the podcast and I love it. So please help your friends. Uh, Spotify lets you rate now. I think Amazon Podcast also has a rating. Just, just do it. Um, and if you want to chat with me, yeah, come on Twitter. I'm, I'm most active there, uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts about video games or anything else. Oh, yes, and you'll find all of Matt's links in the description of the podcast. And, uh, yeah, ch check out News to Reviews on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Twitter's probably the best place to keep track of everything we are doing. And, uh, yeah, at least for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to continue streaming Dead Space Remake. Oh, what a good game that is. It is so, so good. Uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash news to review, 6.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And as Matt mentioned, if you can leave a rating or review wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast or for any of the podcasters you enjoy, it really just, it, it makes our day and helps us get into the ears of more people. It's the easiest way you can support them as well too. Uh, Lockie, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners today? Cho Chang, that was also a pretty racist, wasn't that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Very bad. Yeah, that was that was bad. <laughs> All right, and everyone out there, please avoid <laughs> problematic content and take care of yourselves and take care of one another. What? <laughs>